Hey, this is Jamie from Stonemeyer Games, and today I'm really excited to talk to you about this design topic, number parity in tabletop games. That may not sound all that exciting, but I think it's a really exciting topic um, because it delves into one thing that is, I think, generally found exciting, or at least I find it exciting in games, which is when there is a random element that I am either, that I'm uh, from a dice, so I'm, I'm rolling some dice and getting, getting a number that I do or do not want, um, or I'm drawing a card and getting a card that I do or do not want. You can see that in a lot of our games, I find that exciting. However, uh, the tricky thing with having uh, dice or cards with random elements on them um, is that sometimes in games, uh, certain numbers are just better than other numbers. And that can add to the excitement. If I'm trying to roll a six on this die and I roll that six, that can be really exciting. Um, and the uncertainty of whether or not I'll roll this six is exciting. However, it means that any other number other than six, in that case, in this example, is less exciting. And it gets generally you know, worse as you go down to lower numbers. Same can go for cards. If you have cards of different values, and I even kind of do this in one of my games, in Scythe, there are combat cards numbered one through five. Drawing a five can be really exciting. Drawing a one can be uh, less exciting. Um, and so there's this excitement of getting a random element, but uh, but sometimes certain numbers are just strictly worse than others. And so the topic that I'm exploring today is number parity. Games in which um, random elements, random input, uh, can uh, can actually offer, can still maintain that excitement, but off, can also offer, uh, different numbers can offer different benefits. Um, and, and different reasons that you might be excited about different numbers. Maybe not at all times, but sometimes. So let's jump right in and start talking about these games. So I have a bunch of games on this list. I'm kind of going to rattle off this list and go fairly quickly through them because I have a lot of examples. But I'm going to give you a lot of examples of games that I think do a good job of offering different purposes for different numbers for the purposes of number parity. Let's start with Bora Bora. Bora Bora is actually a game that I played very recently for the first time. It's a Stefan Feld game. Like several of his games, it uses dice. I think he's actually on this list several times. He might use dice in a lot of his games. But uh, in Bora Bora, you'll roll, I believe, three dice at the beginning of each round, and you'll use those dice as kind of a worker placement throughout the round. Um, higher numbers of dice, so if you roll, I'll keep using these rolling realms dice as, as an example. If you roll a high number, it generally means that you get a stronger power as a result when you place that die. However, the one rule for placing dice on many of the different spots uh, available on the board um, especially if another die is there, is that your die cannot be higher. It actually must be lower, I believe. Uh, lower than, or I don't think it's lower than or equal to. I believe it's lower than. Must be lower than any other dice that are there. So uh, it creates this nice tension between players. If if I roll at the beginning of the round, if I have say a three, a two, and a one, all other players see this, and all of a sudden they get kind of nervous about their high rolls because they know that if I put this three on an action that they really want to take with a five or a six, uh, they won't be able to. They just won't be allowed to do that. And so it creates a nice tension in the game and it also gives me a little bit of power there. If I have a low roll, yes, I'm getting slightly lower benefits, but I might be completely blocking other players out of an action. Um, so I think that's an interesting way of having number parity in games in Bora Bora. In, and this list is alphabetical. I don't know if I mentioned that. Next up is Brian Boru. In Brian Boru, it is a trick-taking game where each card has different abilities on it on the top and the bottom. Uh, the top ability is if you actually win the trick. The bottom ability is if you lose, unless I've mixed those two up. But one of them is for if you win the trick. The other is if you lose the trick. And the numbers, I believe, are 1 through 21, somewhere around there, uh, for each, for each uh, uh, type of card, three different types of cards. 
And so if I win a trick with say a really high number, 20, um, then the benefit that I gain might actually end up being more of a cost. Some of those higher numbered cards have a little bit of a cost to it rather than a true benefit. Whereas the lower number cards, if you manage to win with one of them, you might get a really nice powerful benefit. So it balances the numbers with the cost slash benefit of the powers on the cards themselves. You'll see that among several of the games on this list. Um, in Cartographers, this was one that I debated putting on the list a little bit. This is a game that I have here. In Cartographers, uh, but they're, because all players are sharing the random input here, but it is still a random input. At the beginning of each turn, you're going to reveal a random card. Let's see if I can find an example here as I'm doing this. You'll reveal a random card, and that card uh, has a couple different options on it, typically. Uh, that one has the same option. Let's find one that has different options here for this example. Yeah, here's one. Um, and the option is usually, so they're polyomino shapes that you need to draw on a map. And so this has two options here. And you get to decide between taking the bigger shape, which can sometimes help you with certain goals where you might want to fill in a big area with, with forest, for example, here. So you might fill in that bigger shape on your map, or you can choose a smaller shape. So bigger number, smaller number in polyomino form. But with a smaller number, you can kind of fit it in spaces that you wouldn't normally be able to fit it. So you might be able to fit, uh, achieve a very specific goal. Um, and you often get an income benefit as well with it. So I like the idea of pairing uh, big, bigger numbers, take up more space for, for a, a, a polyomino game, but, um, but smaller numbers might come with an income benefit or a little bit more flexibility. Um, are you able to fit into kind of smaller, more narrow gaps there? So I think that's a nice perk from, um, from this game, uh, Cartographers. Now I have to put things back in the box. Uh, so yeah, that's Cartographers. The next one is another Steffenfeld game that is the Castles of Burgundy. Uh, dice are used in a lot of different ways in Castles of Burgundy on your turn. Uh, you have a lot of different options of how you use them. You're kind of drafting a, dice, a die from the board, or you're, you're rolling two dice, and then you're using those dice to draft tiles from the board and sometimes place those tiles on your map. And I think the neat thing about Castles of Burgundy is that it, with maybe a few rare exceptions, it doesn't really care about um, the the uh how high the number is rather there are just simply places on your map that have different numbers and so uh at certain times circumstantially you might need to expand into a green space that has a number three on it and so you you at that time will value the number three more than other dice that are out there um and also on the board there there are six different spots for tiles to be randomly placed at the beginning of the round and so if you have say a number two um, or if you really want a tile that's in that number two area, at that given time, you value two over other numbers. Um, so the size of the number doesn't really matter all that much at all. It's just specific numbers matter at specific times. In Cinderella's Dance, now this is a little card game. looks like this little, little card game here. This game does something really interesting in that uh, the whole crux of the game is that you are given a hand of, of random cards that look like this, and you are trying to stay in the round basically the longer that you can stay in the round uh the better if you are the last player who can actually play a card you win that round and the way you do that is one player plays a card say a player plays a 17 the next player must play one of the three cards that are higher than the 17 the next three sequential cards if they cannot do that they lose the round and so in this game 
numbers again similar to castles of burgundy in a way numbers are highly circumstantial higher numbers are not necessarily better than lower numbers in any way what matters is the sequence having kind of a, a, a wide range of numbers in your hand is what matters and even though you have a random hand of cards you are choosing or sometimes choosing when possible you're choosing which card to play next so someone plays that 17 do i play like in this case, I probably would play the 20 because I know that I have the 18 and 19 in hand and those can play off the 16 if someone plays that or even the, the, the 18 can play off the, the, um, the 15 if someone plays that. Um, so having kind of uh, giving players a reason to want a range of numbers, I think is an interesting way of offering number parity in, in tabletop games. That's Cinderella's Dance in Coimbra. I can't speak all that well of Coimbra. I haven't played it in a while, but it's a really smart Euro game, medium-weight Euro game that uses dice. And from what I recall from it, uh, the dice that you select give you a balance of choices between the, the range of choices that you can, that you can use with the dice uh, versus the cost. Again, it's been a while since I played it, but I believe the costs are higher if you choose a higher die. But if you choose a higher die, you have a broader range of choices that you can choose from. In Conspiracy, which is a game that I've only played, I think, on Board Game Arena. Conspiracy is a really nice game set in the world of Abyss. It does something that a couple of these games do, uh, which is higher number cards are better for points. They're, they're more points, generally more points, at the end of the game. However, lower number cards have abilities on them. I think particularly the ones in Conspiracy have abilities on them. So I think this is a great way of, balance, of creating number parity, where if you have higher numbers are worth more for some specific purpose, whether it's points or power, but lower numbers have little abilities on them. So both can feel very good to take at different times. Higher numbers aren't strictly better than lower numbers because of that. That's Conspiracy. Uh, next up, we have Dice Throne, a wonderful dice crafting game. And um, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I, I was confused Dice Throne with Dice Forge. Uh, in Dice Throne, this is the Yahtzee-like dueling game where you represent a character, you have some special dice for that character, you're rolling those dice and potentially re-rolling up to two times um, to try to get the best, um, the be to activate one single ability. You're in, in the best in that, in that circumstance. And in Dice Throne, uh, Higher numbers aren't, again, aren't strictly better because you're going after sets, you're going after straights, and you're going after combinations of icons in addition to the numbers because icons are paired with different numbers on the dice. Um, I think having this idea of sets, straights, different, different combinations of numbers, making that matter more than um, how big the number is and also pairing them with icons, I think that's a great way to have number parity in games. Um, I actually have Dice Throne, I have the Marvel version. I should have pulled that out here. I do have uh, one of my games, Euphoria. So Euphoria uses number parity in what I think is a somewhat unique way on the commodity areas. Let's see if we can find one that's easily seen on camera here. Oh yeah, here's one, the Cloud Mine. Cloud Mine, right up top there. So in the Cloud Mine, if I put a worker here, workers are dice in, in Euphoria, if I put a, a, a number, say I put a three value worker here, I would gain one bliss, one resource, and I would move the uh, Icarus uh, Allegiance track up one space, which is circumstantially good. If I am an Icarite, if I have an Icarite recruit in the game, that's good. If I don't, then I probably wanna avoid that number and go for a higher number. Um, and play, say, maybe a six here, a five or a six, and gain a bliss and lose a knowledge. You want workers to have low knowledge in Euphoria. However, this commodity area, you can kind of pile on workers there. So if I put a, a three-value worker there, the next player can also put a worker there. This can fit any number of workers. And the sum, it's the sum of all those workers that creates 
the value of what benefit you're going to gain. And as you get to the really high benefits, it can feel good because you're getting two bliss for a single die placement, but you also get a bad thing. So this is something that you'll see throughout this list and a few other places where a higher number actually gives you a penalty. Um, if you have a higher number or some of, of a higher number in this case, um, whereas lower numbers give you circumstantially better benefits, uh, but it might not always be a better benefit. It depends on your allegiance in this particular game. That's euphoria. Uh, in Gloomhaven, Gloomhaven, lots of different numbers in Gloomhaven, a fairly mathy, tactical, uh, cooperative game. In Gloomhaven, initiative is used in interesting ways. And as I'm saying this, initiative isn't, uh, I guess it isn't completely random in Gloomhaven, but there is a randomness to the, uh, the enemies, the AI's uh, initiative. Again, not completely random, but there, there's a little bit of randomness to it. Uh, but... What I like about the initiative system in Gloomhaven in terms of different numbers that come up, and I think this can pop up in other games with initiative too, is that you don't always value going first more than you value going last in Gloomhaven. Sometimes you want the enemy units to move first or act first, maybe get a little bit closer to you and then you can act. But at other times you do want to act first, maybe try to kill an enemy uh, or deal with an enemy in some way before they have the opportunity to move or attack you. So I like, if there's gonna be a random initiative in a game, I like where players are, have that debate, that circumstantial debate of do I want to go first or do I not want to go first, and how can I uh, how can I deal with the situation as best as possible based on that random element. In Gudetama, a per perhaps a much less known game than uh, than Gloomhaven, it's a game where you are playing cards from hands, trying to survive the hand basically, go, go as long as possible, and uh, so that you don't be the player to 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 run out of hand or to run out of all, all the cards and be un unable to play. Uh, because if you are the last player, then you will score points equal to your last card in hand. Um, I hope I'm saying this correctly. It's a weird game. But uh, in that way, the, the, the card that's remaining in your hand matter, card or cards, because the, the value of those cards are negative points. So if you end up at the end of the round with an eight value card, that's eight negative points, that's a lot. You'd rather end the round with say a two or a three. So this would indicate that normally lower numbers are better than high numbers. But in Gunetama, the little twist there is that if I play a higher number and you can't play a number higher than that, you must play your lowest number in hand. Um, so it kind of resets the path there. You play the lower number. Now we need to play on top of that number. And, uh, and, and so this gives value to both types of numbers here. I can kind of force you to play a lower number by playing that high number. Higher numbers give you more, the ability to play more cards, but they all are also worth more negative points at the end of the round. Let's talk about one that, again, that I know much better than Gudetama, and that is Hanami Koji. And Hanami Koji, you are trying to win the influence of seven different geisha using random heart hands of cards. So you have random hands of cards here. And the really cool thing here, I love this little this little trick I think that, that many games do, is that the uh, the number of so the number of this card, so this is a, an item that you use to influence a specific geisha. And there are three of this card in the deck, as indicated by this number, but three is also the number of points that that geisha is worth at the end of the round if you have won their favor. And one of the win conditions is that you have, what is it, at least uh, 11, 10 or 11 points of geisha, uh, 11 or more charm points. So uh, these numbers go from two to five. And so if the five value geisha, five value cards, can seem a little bit better because you might have the potential of getting five points there. But 
because it's five, the, the value is five, that means there are also five cards in the deck. And so you have a little bit less control there over whether or not you will end up being the player to have more cards on that side of the table. So balancing the strength with the quantity of cards, uh, I think Bonanza actually does this too. I just thought of Bonanza has, has that similar element where there are cards that there are plentiful in, in the deck, but they are harder in Bonanza to complete sets in that game because, uh, because you have more of those cards. So yeah, that's Hanami Koji. Next up, we have Jekyll versus Hyde, a recent play that I really, really enjoyed. This is one that I might need to buy because I really enjoyed it. But this is a really clever twist. It's a two-player trick-taking game where one player wants to uh, wants there to be balance. That player wants each player to take the same exact number of tricks or as close as possible to the same number of tricks. The other player wants there to be as big of an imbalance as possible. So, so at the end of the round, they want one player to have one five tricks and the other player to only having, having one uh, a few. I, there's a very specific number of tricks that you can win each round. I can't remember the exact number. But I think this is so clever that uh, they do, they have number parity in Jekyll versus Hyde by saying that it is not always good to win uh, the win the tricks or, or win whatever you want. So nor, they're saying high numbers are better. Sure, high numbers are better for winning tricks, but you don't always want to win tricks. I think that's such a clever way to get around number parity. Libertalia. Libertalia wins of Galecrest here. Uh, this game offers all players the same random hand of cards. However, uh, in, in this game, uh, we, all, we offer numerical parity or number parity by saying that numbers matter in two different ways. When you play a card, say I play a, a five value card. Let's see if I can find a specific card here. Uh, I can't see it on the box. But yeah, so say I play the, uh, uh, the, uh, the 10. The 10 is an explorer according to the back of the box. If I play the explorer card, 10 value card, I line it up in a row and I can show you what that row looks like on the island here based on from lowest number to highest number. And that means that from lowest to highest, we're, we're gonna activate each of their abilities. And so the lower the number, um, the, the sooner their, their daytime ability will trigger. So that's good. However, once you get to the end of the row and you get to the highest number, you'll go back down from right to left at that point, from highest number to lowest number to select loot from the island on that day. So higher numbers are better for selecting loot, but lower numbers get to activate first, which may actually interact with the loot or with those higher number characters. So having kind of a balance there between, um, between activations, having two-way activations in terms of numbers, I think that's a great innovation from Paolo Mori in Libertalia. Love Letter, the little Love Letter game. In Love Letter, it's another game, uh, I've already kind of said this with one of the other games, but it balances more important and more rare abilities with lower value cards, whereas, high, or, or with, uh, well, let's make sure I get that right, because I believe the lower value cards, yeah, so like the one ring, I'm actually saying it the other way around, the one ring is the zero, you want the uh, the one ring card. Smog is very powerful, Smog is a one. Uh, Actually, yeah, so in general, there are more of the, um, the Arkenstone is, is the number eight here. There are more of the lower numbers, um, but the, the higher numbers get more powerful. Actually, as I'm saying this, I don't know if, if a Love Letter is that all that good, all that good of an example of, uh, of a game that does number parity, but, uh, but I feel like it does. I need to play it again to make sure. Maybe I'll bring it to game night tonight to see. But yeah, we'll leave that one for there. Let me know in the comments below if you have... If you can think of why the Hobbit love letter or any love letter has good number parity. Let's get back to games that I know a little bit better. Marco Polo. Uh, Marco Polo 
has uh, so it's a, another work uh, dice worker placement game. Um, there's a cost. So if someone else similar to uh, to Bora Bora, there's a cost to using or not a cost. Bora Bora, you're just blocked. But in Marco Polo, there's a cost to use a space that's occupied by another worker, and the cost is equal to the value on the die that you're placing. So in Marco Polo, you get better rewards with higher value dice, but you pay less to use a blocked action if you're placing a lower number. I think that's a nice innovation for number parity. Quantum, I think Quantum is a game with a fantastic example of number parity. Does something very unique in terms of games with combat, and that is that lower numbers win combat. However, uh, higher numbers, are equal to how far your ship can move. And so it's kind of saying, okay, if your ship is really slow, then it, it's slow because it's kind of big, it's well protected, it can, it can fight well. But if it has a really high number, that means it can move farther. So if you have a, a, a four value ship out on the board, you can move really far, you can move away from other ships, you can dart around, you can move four spaces. Uh, but it's not very good if you, if you get attacked. You want those lower numbers if you get attacked. That's a, it's very clear, it's very simple, but I love that element of quantum. Rogers of the Ganges. This is a game where you use dice as resources in the game. Let me pull out the board real quick while I'm talking about uh, Rogers because it uses numbers in all sorts of ways throughout the game. Um, so, yeah, so the dice over here, there's a, a similar to a little bit Castles of Burgundy. Dice simply have different uh, uh, people associated with them. They can activate different abilities based on the die that you use over here. So one number isn't strictly better than the other. They're just a variety of abilities. Which ability do you want right now? That's the one that, uh, that, that you're looking for in your die. There are some spaces where higher numbers might be slightly better, but really it's like kind of sets of numbers. They're looking for numbers that are different than each other, numbers that are the same as each other. Uh, if you're moving along this path here, you might want to move really far because that can get you towards stronger abilities. But if you do that, it's a one-way path. You can't uh, go back if you do that. So you might want to go slower along this waterway, along the river, uh, use low no lower numbers, or you can jump forward and use higher numbers. It uses numbers in, in such a wide variety of way. I really, really love that. Um, higher numbers are slightly better for buying tiles, but uh, but yeah, yeah, I think that's a I think that's a fantastic example in in Rajas of of how uh, how there's number parity in terms of the random dice that you're uh, sometimes they're random, not always random. Sometimes they're random. In uh, Raptor, Raptor is a fantastic two-player game. And in Raptor, uh, the player who has the lowest card, so you'll choose one card to play and simultaneously reveal it in Raptor. The player who has the lowest card gets to use that card's ability. That's all they get to do, use the ability. While the player with the highest card of the two cards gets to use the difference as the number of their action. So if I play a number two value card, um, and you play a five, then I get I get a nice ability. I, I get the, the ability on the two card. But you get three or five minus two, three. You get three actions on that turn. So there's always this nice balance in Raptor. Do you play a really low number because you really want an ability right now, or do you play a high number because you want a lot of actions? Um, great decision space there in Raptor between high and low numbers. In Regicide, a very recent cooperative game that I've been playing, um, or recent for me, it's a cooperative game that you only uses a deck of cards. It does something that I think is really clever, which is that um, you're trying to kill the, the face cards in the game. And if you kill them precisely, then you get to much faster 
add those face cards to your own deck or to someone's deck who's, who's playing um, cooperatively with you. So precision, I think, I think precision is a way that a variety of numbers can, can be valued. Sometimes a higher number will be better if, if you need a higher number for that precise kill, but sometimes lower numbers will be better too. So I think precision is great. Also, um, precision when discarding in this game. You're gonna be dealt damage by the face cards. And if I have all, say, say I have all nines in hand for some reason, but I'm only dealt three damage, I still have to discard a nine. Um, so having those lower numbers for more precise discarding can be great in, in Regicide. And last, they do something clever in the rules where they say you can combine numbers if they are the same numbers and they add up to less than 10, or it's either less than or equal to 10. So if I have two fours in hand, I can add those two fours together, get both abilities from the cards. They act as an eight since I'm getting since I'm adding four plus four. Um, but they don't let you do that above a certain number. And so they, do, they essentially the game is saying, hey, like this is how we are valuing these lower numbers. You have the potential of adding them together. That's regicide. In Roleplayer, Roleplayer has a nice little twist on how numbers are used. It uses some element of precision. Uh, you're kind of placing dice on your little player mat here to, uh, to uh, complete your character's abilities. Oftentimes, higher numbers are better here, though, because you're trying to get more than a certain amount. But there, there is an element of precision here, too. There are certain ranges that you need to hit, and you can't go over those. If it says 16 to 17, you need either a sum of 16 or 17. So you need to be really precise there as you do it. Also, um, they work numbers into priority. So at the beginning of each round, uh, the different dice that are rolled are assigned to a priority slot in ascending order. So with one, the lower numbers being the higher priority. Um, and so if you choose a lower number that round, you will be the first to be able to buy one of the limited cards available in the market that round. So if you really want a, spe a specific card in the market, say there's like a, a certain armor set that you're going after, you might choose a lower number, get priority there to use to buy first, and then you have to place that lower number in your grid here, which may be better for precision. Um, or it might be a sacrifice you've made there. Maybe you really wanted a higher number, but you really wanted to buy that card more so. So pr balancing priority with, uh, with power, I think is a nice way that the games do this. In Rolling Realms, so we've made so many different promo realms, some of which you've seen, some of which you haven't seen yet in Rolling Realms. And in every one, we're, we're asking how are how, how is their number parity here? So in Wingspan, for example, the Wingspan realm, you're trying to place numbers in each of these bird cards, complete the bird cards, so that you can have the sum of those numbers equal the sum on that card. So really high numbers are necessary on this card. You want low numbers down here. Uh, in uh, A Feast for Odin, one of our most recent promo realms, um, you kind of, you're trying to fill in these islands with the shapes. And so you need at certain times, very specific shapes. So the, the bigger numbers can cover up more spaces and gain more benefits, but to actually complete the islands, you might need these smaller, more precise numbers. And one more example here, let's, in, uh, in Tapestry. A tapestry is actually fairly similar to A Feast for Odin in that you need precision at times to fill in very specific spaces on this polyomino grid. Big numbers are generally better in Tapestry. Again, you're trying to fill in more spaces to complete the grid, but lower numbers are better at precision. You're hearing me talk about precision a lot. I think precision is a great goal to look after when you're trying to have number parity. Three more examples here. Um, Rumble Nation. So Rumble Nation is an, an awesome, really, truly awesome game, uh, combat game, combat interactive game, where you, at the beginning of your turn, you're rolling three dice, and you are choosing uh, two of those dice 
to add together to determine which uh, territory on the map numbered between 2 and 12 you are going to interact with. And then uh, the last number is how many tokens you're going to place on that territory. That number itself, you're, you're either going to place one, two, or three tokens there. And all three of those options have different benefits because you can kind of assert your control over that territory by placing more tokens there by using a high number. Or you can kind of stall and play back uh, and uh, hold back by placing fewer uh, cubes there so that you have more information at the end of the round based on how many different people are, are in different spots. If, if you're the last player left in the round or in the, in the, in the game, really, then you have more control there. Um, and also, the, the numbers on the board, having, having uh, control of the 12 territory is really great because uh, you get more points from it. You get 12 points from controlling that territory. However... Uh, there's this cascading effect that I won't go into detail here in Rumble Nation, but basically you start by resolving the lower value territory. You start by resolving the number two territory. Um, and the winner of that territory can spread out to other territories, other adjacent territories or touching territories where they have at least one cube. And so having control of those lower number territories, even though they're worth less, can be great, can create this wonderful cascading effect where you won the two, and now you won the three. Maybe you now won the four. And so it can kind of build towards you being better at uh, capturing those higher number territories. That's Rumble Nation. Space Base. Space Base, I think, does something really clever. Uh, it's a little bit different than Rumble Nation, or kind of similar, in that in Space Base, uh, one player is going to roll some dice, and all players are going to use those two dice. So you have two dice that are rolled. And you can choose to use those numbers either by adding them together. So this would be two and three would be a five and activating your five column of cards in space space, or you can separate them into using a two and a three. Um, I think this is a really, really clever way of offering number parity because uh, you're not necessarily saying that one that one number is better than any, in, than any other in the game. In fact, and I, I really messed up, I think, the first time I played Space Space because I was so used to just automatically adding the numbers together and assuming that I was assuming that kind of six, seven, eight would be the most valuable numbers in the, uh, the, the statistical curve of which numbers are more likely to show up more when you're rolling two numbers. But really, that curve isn't really there because you can separate those numbers whenever you want. So it's offering number parity by giving you flexibility as to whether or not you add together those numbers. And last, we have Wingspan. Here, I have Wingspan Asia over here as, as the example for today. So in Wingspan, and there are many card games that do this, but in Wingspan, you are getting random cards, random bird cards. Uh, at the beginning of the game, at certain times of the game where you're drawing from the top of the deck, and even just the cards that come up in the card row, the bird cards, are random. They are balanced through a huge formula that, that Elizabeth Hargrave uses. Um, in terms of the value of the points and utility of the birds versus uh, other aspects of the bird, their cost to play, their flexibility of where you can play them, uh, how many eggs they can hold, all these different factors on the bird. Uh, so uh, I think this is a great way that many games, Wingspan, Terraforming Mars, many games that use random cards balance kind of the cost to play with the strength of the benefit and the value, the points value on that card itself. Um, so I think this is another great way if you have random cards, random input of cards, that you can balance different numbers and make different numbers worth more or less. So I might have, I might draw a card that's only worth one or two points at the end of the game, but it might have a really great ongoing ability throughout the game. So that can feel really good, even though I drew a lower value card. 
I've gone through 26 games here, maybe 27 if you count Bonanza, but there are many, many games uh, that, that have elements like this of number parity. But I'd love to hear more. Hopefully this has given you some ideas if you're looking for ways in your game to, to value numbers in different ways um, and offer, offer kind of circumstantial benefits between different numbers, especially if they're a random element. I, I left some games off this list that, de that don't really have a random element to this. Uh, but yeah, let me know your examples in the comments below if you can think of some favorite ways or some things that you're going through in your game design right now. Thanks.